0: Welcome to the head the heart and the briefcase podcast where we take constantly evolving workplace psychology research and translate it into easy to understand bites leaders like you can
1: use in your everyday life. I'm Alexandra Hunt. And I'm Natalie Grogan. Since releasing our entitlement episode, we've had so many impactful conversations and fielded some really great questions. Today, we're following up on that topic by diving a bit deeper and providing you with some tips on addressing common entitlement problems in the workplace. Let's do this. Since we launched the entitlement podcast i've had some interesting conversations with uh, some very interesting people including another io psychologist a doctor of io psychology and he's a former professor of io psychology um, as well as an executive coach who is um, very much into the entitlement space she speaks a lot about that so i got some unique insight from them that is not you know reflective necessarily of my opinions but i thought I would share that since we're kind of doing a Q&A and other people's perspectives uh, are interesting to add. So the woman I spoke to who is the executive coach, uh, she actually helps people who are in a similar field to us, um, also exec- other executive coaches, craft keynote speeches to um, speak in front of large audiences. And I was talking to her about potentially doing one on entitlement. And she was saying that actually people, managers, leaders, your CEOs, aren't actually focusing on that as a problem so much, um, that the speech would really have to be about something larger like resilience and team dynamics, and then bring entitlement into that conversation, which I thought was really interesting, because mm-hmm. we talk so much about like, how it is a huge problem, but it you know, out there in the marketplace, it doesn't really seem like people are focusing on that as the problem.
0: Well, I think, I think it it definitely warrants, like the disclaimer that that's her experience, right? Because like, I yeah. know that people like I've received, um not us, uh, what did you say her credentials were?
1: Oh, She's a former CEO and executive coach. Okay. So,
0: um, not I'm not a former CEO um, or an executive coach for that matter, um, but uh, people, the response that I've had from, from people in the business world that have listened to it is less from the executive level, more from like the mid-level management level of like, wow, yeah, this is huge. We have such an issue with this. Um, I know we've even had people reach out of, yes, this is killing us. Please give us some extra tips. On this so that's so interesting just to hear the different experiences and different like perceptions i wonder what like her um like where she's located what the culture is like in the companies that she works with like i wonder if maybe because of her executive coaching and because of the type of executive she's working with she's really nipping that problem before it ever even really reveals itself
1: well to your point, the feedback that I've gotten has not been from executives necessarily either. Um, so I think perhaps this this is a problem that middle managers are focusing on more, and that other employees are noticing is happening more than executives, which, you know, how do we how do we feel about that? You know the people on the ground in the work every day are experiencing this a lot more, maybe because they're more connected and then the executives are seeing it as a different kind of problem or not even necessarily noticing it as a behavioral issue that's detrimental
0: yeah well i think it goes right into the emotional intelligence factor right not that executives are stupid or that they have low emotional intelligence that's not at all what i'm saying (laughs) but i think there's an element of it to where it's like hey what i guess what element does that play right? Like, is that something that is considered like what we talked about before of like, oh, it's feelings. And like, how many times have you gone and sat down with a manager in your career to say, you know, this person is just really acting entitled, and it just is really grinding my gears. Like, that's not really something that you would sit down and complain about. So unless you like see it firsthand, I guess, and a lot of times, the people who act entitled, I guess, probably wouldn't necessarily reveal that to upper management.
1: Well, the executive perspective, like emotional intelligence aside, the executive perspective is coming from a different place, too. You know, they're looking to attain specific goals, um, looking a lot at the numbers and things like that, and maybe not focusing so much on that behavior once people come into the organization. But I think that it's important for them to maybe make a shift and analyze it at least a little bit. Well yeah, and, and to be fair,
0: kind of what you're saying, they have much bigger fish to fry. And so if Jim Bob in accounting is just so ridiculously entitled and is being a culture crusher there, from an from a having been an not a CEO, but having been an executive, from that mindset, there's the business side of me that wants to be like, okay, great, take that up with HR. Like let's fix this problem. Like we have so many other things we have to work on and focus on, and not because I don't care about people, but because, like you said, there's so many other priorities at the forefront. It's like, all right, let's address this at that management level if it becomes a bigger issue, then I'll get involved. But for the most part, I guess I would expect those managers to handle that and to nip that in the bud so it didn't become a big culture issue. So, from that from that perspective, I guess it makes sense.
1: Yeah, and I th- I think for myself, when I was a middle manager, I would prefer that that problem not be escalated above my head, right? <laughs> Oh, absolutely.
0: Like, in a way,
1: the same, in a way
0: that almost feels like you're failing if you and that's a pride thing, good and bad. But it almost feels like if you have to involve upper management or HR or something like that to handle an issue, then it's like you couldn't cut it or like you're failing to handle it
1: yourself. Yeah, and I think My perspective is to an extent that's kind of true and it's maybe not your fault that you don't know how to handle that problem and you should be asking for help or you should feel like you can ask for help Mm -hmm. Um, because most people aren't equipped, you know, you've thrown into a management role and you're like, okay, I can get everybody to do their jobs. We set goals, we're achieving them or not achieving them. And then bang, like this, you know, emotional behavioral problem comes up and you're like, wait. Nobody ever taught me how to deal with this.
0: Oh my gosh. No, that, that is so true. In fact, Mm -hmm. actually, um, at one of my previous companies, I went into a position with a lot of experience and this position please don't make like I don't want to come across like it was beneath me because that's not at all the case. It was a very fun, very um, like challenging position. But when I came into this position, I had a supervisor and I'll put that in quotes because to this date it's never really been confirmed if he was actually the supervisor or not. Um, he was this young guy, like I think a couple years younger than me. So I guess I shouldn't say young guy or somewhere around my age. Um, but you know, old soul people, my age, feel young. (laughs) Um, and he was like, he'd had no management experience, no supervising experience, no training, no quibbing, no nothing. It was just, Hey, your numbers look good. So we're going to put you in a supervisor position kind of thing. And so I came into this position, having managed people before quite extensively to the supervisor who had none of this experience. And at first it was like, okay. All right, this is cool. Like I will be able to help just like be a good first employee because I've been on the other side of being a first-time manager. I know how stressful that is. I know how daunting it can be especially when you don't have resources. I'm going to like help him out. I'm going to be a pal. I'm going to be encouraging. I'm going to be a good like first manager, if you will. But he was so micromanaging, so condescending, so patronizing, like publicly condescending. Actually, I was just telling the story the other day. Where we would be in meetings and like I would be assigned a project, and he would be like, "Well, now her experience is more tailored to this," and it would be like, "Hold on, dude, I can speak for myself. Like, I actually have experience in this. You just don't know that, which is fine. But also, like, just so it got it went from the point of like I'm gonna try and like uplift him and be a good first manager and like help him get his wheels under him to like, okay, time out. This is not okay. Um, and it was." I threw no fault of his own. He had no coaching, no training, no nothing. And so there was this like sense of entitlement and domineering and insecurity of like that desire to prove yourself that really shone through. But then there was also that element where I had to take a step back and be like, okay, this isn't personal towards me. This isn't something I did to like, there's nothing I did to deserve this kind of treatment it's more of his lack of training coming through. And so then that was something that he and I had to sit down and kind of hash out. And eventually it ended up working out where he actually, we had a new manager come in and he was like, whoa, timeout, don't wanna demote this guy, but like also what the heck is happening here kind of thing. And so he offered extra coaching and training and I don't think he continued managing people. I don't think he lost his like title, but. It was kind of like a, hold on, let's let's pull back just a little bit, let's coach, let's develop. And that manager really completely changed the game because he came in, he saw the issues and he addressed them. But to get to your point of this, none of that ever went up to anybody above that new manager. Like it never went to the department head, it never went to the executive team. Honestly, nobody ever would have even known that these issues, and it wasn't just with me, it was with the whole team that he was, it was, it was the whole thing all of that to say, if you had asked them like, Hey, do you guys have an issue with this in your company? They most certainly would have said no, at least speaking on behalf of our department. So yeah. I, yeah. I
1: yeah. And there's so many little things that you just said that are very interesting and very common across business in general. One of which being you can't just promote anybody. You see it in sales all the time where people's numbers are, Exceptional, and then there's a management role open, and they feel like that, you know, that person deserves to be promoted because they performed really well. Well, not everybody, A, wants to manage, uh, but they definitely want more money, right? So some people will take that role because it seems like the right thing to do, oh, but absolutely. they're not really cut out for managing. And then also, the behavior, the way this person was treating you, it was a classic telltale, you know, insecurity, defensiveness. Mm-hmm. And that's just, a really brutal way to start to manage people because you're making yourself kind of look bad to upper management. They recognize that you're belittling the people who are working for you.
0: Well, potentially it depends on the upper management of what's the culture in this company. Is that just a system of promotion where there's not training, you're just promoted based on accolades and not necessarily expertise. So then upper management sees that and recognizes like, yeah, I do that myself. Like that's how you handle this. You know, so like there's a, Potentially upper management sees that, but potentially not, if that's the the culture, which at this company it was, which is is fine. It's since being worked on. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, it wasn't something that other people necessarily saw until that new manager from the outside came in, like completely external, came in and was like, mm, don't love this, let's work on this. But it, he was never belittling. He was very empowering. Like he really he, really, he should be like a case study. He really handled it quite well. I was very impressed.
1: Yeah, that's, that's so great. But sometimes you do need somebody to come in from the outside to recognize what these issues are. And sometimes even as the person being managed, you don't realize that this is not the way you should be treated. Like it doesn't feel good. But at the same time, you're like, well, they're my boss. So this is what I'm dealing with.
0: One question that I've heard a lot in interviews, whether it's like talking to HR directors, to managers, interviews I've been in myself, especially within the last, I'm gonna say like three to five years. I'm not even gonna say five, I'm gonna say two to three years, is I have heard so often, how do you like to be managed? How do you prefer to be managed? And I I think that is a double-edged sword question, but I love that it's opening the dialogue and the conversation to what what do we expect as employees? What do we need as employees? And I think it can't, like I said, double edged sword, I think it can lend to um, certain types of entitlement. And, and I think it can lend, like I think it's kind of can be dangerous territory, if not handled appropriately, or if the person isn't emotionally equipped or um, not going to say intelligently equipped, because I'm not trying to call anybody stupid, <laughs> um, but if they're not equipped to handle that question, then it can be dangerous. But generally speaking, I think it opens a great dialogue of like, how do I prefer to be managed? What work environments do I thrive in? And then when you have that dialogue of not expecting the company to cater that, but using that as an opportunity to figure out, okay, here's being totally honest, here's where I thrive. And if they say, great, that's not really the culture we have here. But this is what that looks like, then you can have that, that that conversation of is this a good fit or not?
1: You know what I mean? Yeah, that sounds a lot like what we use the behavioral assessment from Predictive Index for. So we can address that in the pre-hire process, you know, and see if the it's the job and culture is aligned to the person's, you know, natural way that they need to be managed, but more in an, in an objective way than just asking somebody how they prefer to be managed. Because as much as I think, I totally agree that that opens a really good dialogue about, you know, each person, like the manager really caring about the person and wanting them to thrive. People don't always know exactly how they want to be managed. And um, when you use these more like objective, scientifically validated of behavioral science things, um, it gives you more of an objective measure, and then more, um, more actionable process rather than the manager then trying to say okay well you say you need this all right how am i going to do this and tailor tailor your job tailor your workspace tailor your you know environment the pace of work all of that to what actually suits you
0: i could not agree more you just landed that plane so perfectly like that's everything i was i was hinting at and getting around to and you just you just brought that right on home so
1: great putting down great tie-in the other interesting conversation i had and again you know people are will take this different ways but it was with that industrial organizational psychologist Uh, he is has been in this world for quite a long time Um, as i mentioned he used to be a professor of biopsychology he's written multiple books he's just a really cool guy Um, but we kind of had an off-the-record conversation about uh, and this very much is related to entitlement about the reality of DEI initiatives. And I know this is a touchy subject, but it was interesting he brought up um, that he thinks, it's not thinks He the data says that things were actually really good in terms of DEI before this became a thing a few years ago. Um, and that a lot of the initiatives are being done so poorly, that they're just creating more division and more problems for not only the organization, but the interpersonal communication um, of the people in them. So I just wanted to bring that up because DEI can, you know, depending on really a myriad of factors lead to um, entitlement feelings and thoughts in people, regardless of which side of it you're on.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up.
1: And just as a
0: quick little note, DEI is diversity, equality and inclusion. Is that right? Uh, equity, equity, diversity, yep. equity and inclusion? Yep. Okay. Just making sure we're all on the same page with that acronym. Yes, thank you. Um, I <laughs> no, you're okay. You're okay. Um, I knew what you were talking about. But I don't know that I like I always hear it referred to as DEI. I never hear anybody like break down what it actually is, you know, so it's like, hmm, this could be a good opportunity to actually break down the acronym that we all use like knowing what what it refers to you know what i mean
1: i feel like we should always break them down right for our listeners (laughs) just in case (laughs) um that's
0: that's super interesting and that is also not at all surprising i feel like the more gosh dang it there is a quote from someone at some point in time i could not be more vague i'm gonna think of it but it was something from like Morgan Freeman, or not rules apart, like it was there's some quote about like, if you want to end racism, if you want to end um, inequality, if you want to like, maximize diversity, like quit talking about it, like quit forcing it, just
1: if there was it's something like that. Do you know what I'm yeah. talking about? Um, I, I understand the concept for sure. I'm doing uh, a I don't brave know in the quote <laughs> um yeah I think I mean some companies have come out and said pretty overtly that we're not hiring you know white men anymore which by the way is and I'm going to try and keep my soapbox away I can like feel my palms
0: getting sweaty um (laughs) which by the way is still racism it's not only racism if it's against people of another color or ethnicity than Caucasian or white. Like,
1: It's still discrimination. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, I love talking to people. You know, I really love data and I love IO psychology, obviously. So I love talking to people who are so data focused in this area rather than mm-hmm. focused on the emotion and feelings of people. Because he did present actual data um, and both in terms of statistics about employment of people of color and women, um, and like the you know, rising rates of diversity within organizations, but also the sentiment behind it and how people of color, or and women were feeling about their ability to grow within organizations. And all of that was very positively trending prior to this whole DEI push. Which is interesting, because like the the storyline
0: behind the big D, when it when when are we going to give as a start date for the DEI push?
1: Like, give us a, an estimate year there. Do you remember? Uh, I first started seeing a lot of it only in like 2018. I want to say I'm sure that it's been talked about much, you know, it, it takes a long time for these things to become a big deal. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure exactly. I didn't know if his data had
0: like, a because you're saying prior to the DEI push, I didn't know if there was like a what that prior
1: date was. Well, the, um, I think he said the data was from 2016 or 2018. Okay. So pretty recent like you said. Yeah. So uh, just I just Googled really quick. I feel like Joe Rogan right now, Googling your questions as you go. But <laughs> The field of DEI in corporate America has its roots in the 1960s, which makes sense. Because well, yeah. of the Civil, civil rights. rights movement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so why the resurgence um, when things were trending in the right direction pretty quickly? I don't know. I mean, I have my theories, but I probably shouldn't say them on here. I would say that there's probably a driving force behind it that is not um that is not focused on
0: the well being of people and company culture. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Is that a nice um, way to say it? But I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, no, that is interesting though, because there's also the conversation around and I'd be curious to know if he has any data around this, but it's kind of a hard thing to measure, but about like because it is more like feelings and sentiments. Um, like, okay, so everything's on a pendulum in my mind, right? So we have the um, hypersexualization of women, and then we have the pendulum swinging to the Me Too movement. And I feel like in recent years, it's kind of settled a little bit back towards the middle where it should be, right? Of like a healthy balance, a healthy dynamic. It's by no means perfect, just as an example of like how the pendulum swings. I feel like at this point in time, and again, I'm using the words I feel intentionally (laughs) at this point in time, I feel like the pendulum is continuing to be on the other end of like, it's, it's historically like, nobody can really argue in a lot of ways, it's historically favored, um, like middle American to to affluent white men, right. And then now it's kind of shifting the pendulum is the focus, like you said, some companies are even coming out and saying we're not hiring caucasian men um and so finding that where's that balance at like what does that actually look like to where we're not being discriminated just we're not discriminating against any one race or gender we're just hiring the best person for the job and it's it's just like i'm, I'm trying to figure out okay when is that going to settle out and where is that going to settle and i'd be curious to know what the data shows as far as where we're actually at versus where the news would have us believe we're at or social media would have us believe we're at but like What's the real pulse right now of where the mentality of of corporate America is on that front?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I'll ask him uh, if he has anything on that because that would be really interesting or I can dig through um, some things, too. But the trouble with academia is I love research papers, but there's a lot in there that is very um, politicized or motivated by people's own biases so Mm -hmm. it takes a lot to comb through all of that to get to the whatever the reality is and like truly objective data which is Mm -hmm. a sad state of affairs for academia because that should be the place where you can go and trust the studies that have been peer-reviewed for for um, realistic and honest data but um, a lot of times they're funded by certain organizations that want a certain outcome and um, not uh, done with the same integrity as some of the others, so it is a lot of combing through um, and figuring out you know what what is the reality. so mm-hmm.
0: yeah if you um no, like no harm, no pressure, or anything like that. But if you happen to come across anything, I'd be curious to know what that looks like, yeah I will. Um, but speaking of years of This is a really choppy transition, but I'm gonna pretend like it flows perfectly. Speaking of years of um, just precedent and I'm gonna use that as the tie-in to years of entitlement and favoritism and just common trends in the workplace that we see. We had um, some really good questions come in specifically, not just from people that we've talked to, like you said, Natalie, but people who actually reached out with some specific questions of like, hey, one, two, three, four, five, give me some thoughts, give me some help here. Um, And we've taken some of these questions from offline. And we're going to discuss them here today on the little q&a portion of this little um, office hours or after hours after dark, whatever you want to call it, episode of the head, the heart and the briefcase. Um, Natalie, tell us about
1: tell us about these questions. Yeah, well, I want to start off by saying thank you for sending in questions because we were pretty excited after only one episode to get people writing in with real problems that they're having at work and asking for advice on those. So um, that just tells us there's some engaging content in that first episode and that people um, want to hear what we have to say. So thank you so much and please continue to um, send them in. And
0: in fact, that's actually why it's taken us so long to get a second episode out. Um, I think we told you the first time we're recording these real time. And after just the overwhelming response of questions and thoughts and comments and feedback, it was like, okay, let's let's step back. Let's restructure these episodes. Let's do things like this, like a QA, and a after hours, office hours, whatever you want to call it. We need to come up with a name. Um, check the title. We probably figured it out by the time it's published. <laughs> but... Mm-hmm. That's why we decided we should do something like this is because of just that, that feedback so thanks for helping us structure what we thought was an already well-structured podcast and making it even better yeah
1: i think people just the overwhelming feedback was more conversation than getting into the real stuff so i'm happy to do that i think it's more fun this way so
0: <laughs> you want real we got real
1: <laughs> so, we got real these um, questions yeah so I'll start with an email that we got from someone named Sarah, and I will just leave it at that uh, to protect the innocent. But her first question was, how do you undo years of favoritism and inflated ego related to position and title? Mm, Sarah, that's a good one. Yes. Um, And this appears to be kind of a smaller company. Um, Her position is the HR director, just to give you some context as to where this is coming from, especially as we talked about, you know, the difference between um, the perspectives of middle management, perhaps even HR, and then also um, executives on the topic of entitlement. So this is coming from the perspective of HR, and I think that's important to um, note couple things
0: that we don't know about Sarah just to call out. So we're going to make some assumptions in discussing about this here and safe assumptions don't get us wrong. But we don't know how long she's been at the company. We don't know if this is something that somebody's asked her if this is something she's experienced. Um, There's we're we're handling this in a way that is applicable to anybody listening who might relate to this question versus like specific to Sarah's case.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I'm glad you um, made a note of that. Um, so, we've, we've talked about it a little bit, um, how we can, uh, you know, the suggestions that we have in order to do this in an objective way that is going to help move things forward. So, that's what we're always trying to do is make sure that we're doing it in a way that is good for the person, the team, the organization, right? We want this to create a more positive work environment rather than putting blame on people or singling people out. um, But one of the things we discussed was, you know, there are two ways that this could go that we also don't know. Um, Is this a single person that is causing this issue or that is behaving this way Or is this a cultural issue where people, many people at the company, say the executive team, uh, have this sense of entitlement because of where they are Um, and the favoritism uh, piece, too? So I think the very first thing that I always encourage people to do, and this is maybe not just an encouragement, you have to do this, is document the problem. And in human resources, most people uh, know to do that. But if you don't document this issue and it gets worse or other bigger problems uh, come from it, then you're not going to be able to do anything about it from a legal perspective or the person's going to have some legal recourse to come after you because there's no real proof that this was a problem that was impacting um, their ability to work or other people's ability to do their work. Mm
0: -hmm. And not even necessarily for legal reasons alone, although that is it's always good in business to cover your legal butt, but um, also for coaching and development of that person, right? Because we also firmly believe that no person is unredeemable, like no person is too far gone, too entitled too XYZ. Um, and so when you when it comes to whether that that coaching happens at your company, at somebody else's company, whatever. But when you go to have those conversations with that person, which we'll get to in a minute, it helps to have that documentation. So it's not feelings-based, it's facts-based and you can have that, those action steps that come from it. And the person can't really dispute of like, oh no, I that that was all conjecture or whatever. Um, it kind of helps them be like, hey, you can approach it in a gentle manner and, and show, kind of show them the facts, but don't have to throw them in their face like a book. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. I think there are some people who are too entitled to come back, but even in that case, you still have to have the documentation that you tried to help them and tried to fix the problem, and that should certainly come from a genuine place too, not from a place of wanting mm-hmm. to get rid of them, and mm-hmm. um, and you know pushing that forward.
0: We um we actually had a a company we worked with who had this issue, um within the last year or so, I'd say it was a company that very successful, um, very, very big territory that was a very successful territory where this issue was prevalent in a couple employees. And what we found is it kind of trickled down in this instance from the top and created a culture that kind of just festered of entitlement and untouchable and favoritism. And I can do no wrong because, I'm so-and-so and and you can't touch me. And it didn't matter how many things the HR department had as far as like complaints on file. And so um, we actually had the opportunity to go in and to help consult on a very direct level with the management team that was experiencing these issues and, and help them figure out how to handle them. And put some things in place, and and give them some resources and some tools in their tool belt. So, Natalie, you want to walk us through kind of what we what we did, how we approached that. And you already started with the documentation; that was a huge first step. Um, but walk us through the other tips that we gave this company.
1: Yeah. So this is, um, I mean, this definitely applies to both the individual and the cultural issues. But sometimes, in in this particular organization, we saw it happen with someone who is has been at the company for a very long time. So they're deeply ingrained there, but this behavior has been going on for a while, but they're also performing well in terms of what their responsibilities are. So the company, you know, leadership therefore is like, well, we don't want to get rid of him because he's been here forever. He knows what he's doing and he's making us money. However, the collateral damage from somebody who's behaving this way is, impacting way more people and in this case was making people leave. Mm-hmm. So there's a lack of kind of quantifying the cost of people leaving, multiple people leaving just to keep this person on. And so you really have to think about as the leader, what is the cost, what's the real cost beyond, you know, this person's uh the revenue they're bringing in or managing or whatever that is.
0: Oh, absolutely. And there was there was even a like a trickle down effect in this particular instance where you had the high level manager who was this particular way that Natalie's referring to. And that trickled down to his subordinate, which trickled down to that subordinate, which trickled down, it trickled down, I think, four different layers where there was at least one person. It was kind of like a, a straight line down the, the org chart of each layer below him had at least one person who mimicked and even amplified in some cases that that favoritism culture that ego boosting that entitlement that I'm untouchable um, that kind of perspective so it was you had people leaving but then you also had people who were being empowered to act this way as well
1: yeah and then the other at each level when you have somebody behaving that way then you have some faction of people on that same level who are like well if this guy's doing this or behaving this way, then I'm not going to go, you know, I'm not going to be any different. Or if I only have to do the bare minimum to get by, or if I can treat people this way, you know, I'll do that too. And that kind of aren't as amplifying, but they just start to not do as much or care as much or go above and beyond because why should they? If they don't have to do that, right? Right.
0: Oh Yeah. When we, when we did a deep dive into this, it was almost like little pockets of poison at each level where people didn't want to, like the territory was still succeeding, but it was also suffering. And it wasn't the, the, the benefit I guess is that it wasn't bleeding as quickly as it was growing, but it was still very much bleeding. And you had people who were, well, I'm not going to help him and in this territory and equip him and his team or give him the resources he needs to, or or give of myself because I don't like him. He's rude, he's arrogant, he's whatever. All of these other little things that came along with that um, favoritism and ego boosting and entitlement culture being propagated. And so then, like I said, it was just kind of like these little pockets of poison of like, wow, what what actually brought us into it was, we said there were like four levels on this particular division level two so right under the guy who had been there for years that guy was replaced and a new guy came in and was like whoa time out this is a mess this is like debilitating and this is so bad where do i even begin with this like how do i don't want to like i don't want to go come at my manager too hard and be like time out dude what are you doing but I also am not going to tolerate this on my team and with the guys I'm responsible for, because I see how this is impacting the rest of the entire region of the country. And so that's kind of where we came in and where we, um, were introduced into this is working with HR, working with that new manager and helping, like I said, provide tools and resources and, and attack it from there.
1: Yeah. And to your earlier point, it does take somebody else coming in sometimes to recognize, not that people there didn't recognize there was a problem. They did, but somebody new coming in that's like, hold up, and actually has kind of the guts to speak up about it because they come from a better culture or a place where they were managed in a more reasonable manner, I guess.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I think it also is like you you don't have those years of abuse, almost like you don't have that tolerance level built up to where it's like, Oh, well, you're just now saying something like you, you've never said anything before. It's like, you come in, you see it. And you're like, okay, he spent his first like two years, there, just getting a lay of the land, trying to do everything he could to make things improve and make them better. And he did. But then he still had a a couple of those sticky points. So he was basically able to in working with us, he was able to kind of take those I'm going to say pockets of poison and like treat the external edges until he just kept like digging down into the root to identify, okay, no, th- it's exactly what I thought. These are the individuals who are kind of spewing that poisonous toxic culture, um, to where he's able to, even, even to this day, it's what, three years into it, a couple years later, um, still working on them and still working to improve it with the tools and the resources. But the difference that has been made is, incredible, which we'll share in a minute, because we still haven't told you the tools and resources (laughs) that we
1: gave him. So take it away now. Well, on that note, um, so this can really be done by, so obviously document the issues and document the process as you go along, what you've done, um, what the results are, and that sort of thing. Um, But this can either be done by the manager or leader or human resources. Personally, I think that it's more powerful coming from the leader because you know, when we talk about things trickling down, they do. And whether you, you if you're a C-level person and, you know, you behave a certain way and you don't think that that impacts the rest of your organization, that's not true. It always trickles down. So it is more meaningful coming from your manager or a leader. Um, And, you know, as much as I love working with HR, some people, you know, don't take HR as seriously as they should. So, um, but really depending on how your organization set up and how you like to deal with these things.
0: Um, well, and HR is a good ally too, because in this instance, like we talked about, HR was aware of the issue. They had years of documentation, but there was only so much HR could do. Um, HR even shared like some of their personal stories with this leader who came in and was like, whoa, hold on, this needs to be fixed. And it, it is also worth noting that we said four layers going up to layer five, that um, director or VP or executive, um, he I'm intentionally being vague about that because I don't want to, you know, want to keep the privacy of the company protected. Um, But that guy was also aware of the issue and was trying to fix it from the top. So you kind of had somebody coming from the top, coming from the side of HR. And then now you had this new guy coming in who's coming and kind of pushing up and down as well to try and, and heal this. So yeah. to your point, Natalie, yes, I 100% agree with you that oftentimes it's best if it comes from that manager who's sees it and who's handling the problem. But also for those of you listening, don't be afraid to get go to HR for resources. You don't have to go to them to handle it, but they might have some good tools and resources and information in this instance the predictive index tool that they used showed background information on the person, not background, but a more in-depth look at the person. And so this manager was able to formulate a plan with HR to approach it in a healthier manner and set more long-term expectations.
1: Yeah. And if you do, so the the first step beyond documentation is really to talk to the person, right? And if you have something like, predictive index um, that tells you how that person best communicates or how to best communicate with them, um, how much, you know, they're focused on people versus tasks, um, like getting things done versus caring about the people doing them, um, how formal they are in their communication style, that can help make this extremely difficult conversation a little bit easier because you're communicating with them in the way that they need to be communicated with, which softens it a little bit. But it is a tough conversation to have, and you're probably not going to want to do it. But the most important thing, and Alex and I have t- been talking about this a little for the last couple of weeks, is um, focusing on the whole person. So making sure that you're not coming into this conversation with expectations about why this behavior is occurring, right? Because when we go in with expectations, then you're not really listening to what the person has to say to you, and their kind of explanation and perspective on it, you're going in saying, we have this problem, and I already know why. I already know why this behavior is coming up, when really this conversation should be about understanding that person's perspective on why they feel they need to behave this way, if they even have a perspective or have the self-awareness to process that, which is actually the, the crux of it is usually these, types of behaviors come from either a lack of self-awareness don't know i'm doing it or some insecurities like we talked about before with that um with the manager
0: which spoiler alert on one of the levels at least actually more than one but on like the very base level where this was being um, exhibited it very much came from lots of insecurities and in fact when this manager came in and and started working with this. That was the very first thing he uncovered. And it was ironically, the very top guy who had the issue to start with is the one who pointed out that the reason that guy down the chain had those issues is because he was he had crippling insecurity and everything had to be his idea. And so it wasn't even that the guy at the top wasn't aware of the impact he was having. It was he was just catering to the repercussions of his behavior and of his attitude.
1: Yeah, he definitely felt threatened, and as we talked about in the episode, you know, entitlement feelings tend to lead to more entitlement feelings. It's like a snowball or cyclical effect like a that, um, yeah, yeah, kind of gets worse over time, and um, if it's not managed, and we part of this conversation, Alex says this all the time, is listen to understand, not to respond. And there will be opportunities in the future to craft your response, you know, as we're going through this. But this conversation that you're going to have with the person is going to be emotional, probably for them. There's, if they're already behaving that way, there's probably going to be an element of defensiveness or passiveness, which is another story because then, the defensiveness will come in conversations with other people and Mm -hmm. potential resentment later. So we've got to look out for that too. Um, But, you know, just approach this with kind of kid gloves, but also considering that this person has a whole experience going on outside of the workplace that might influence what their behavior probably does influence their behavior. That well, yeah,
0: there's, there's that, a saying that I think I mentioned, I might've mentioned before um, on one of our, our previous conversations, but I, I heard it at church a few weeks ago and you can't judge somebody, not, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can't judge someone after only reading one chapter or one page or one paragraph, right? So having that delicacy and honestly, to take the feeling out of it and to put it in a more like practical, like business minded sense. Guys, think of it like a sales call or like a sales meeting, your first meeting, you're not doing a lot of talking. If you're a good salesman, right, you're doing listening, you're asking questions, you're trying to understand, because you can't address any issues, you can't address any problems, you can't provide any solutions, until you have a good lay of the land. And you can't go on assuming you have to let the customer tell you any good salesperson knows that you can go in there and you can know every single issue. But until the customer or the potential client tells you themselves, you're never going to get anywhere just like that. So if that takes kind of the pressure off of it for some of you uh, or the, the fear, the apprehension of like, wait, time out, this is just like a sales call. I'm going to go in, I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to listen meeting. Number two, conversation number two, that's when we dive into a little bit more where I do more talking, but the first, the first sales call, if you're a good salesperson, you don't really talk much, you just
1: listen. And that's exactly how this is. If that makes it a little less daunting. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, And I've done this, uh, you know, in my consulting work on behalf, like rather than the leader or the director of HR going in and having this conversation, I've done this before. And it's really interesting how people open up when you are there just to listen to them, especially, I mean, I still think that the onus should be on the manager, leader or HR within the organization, but it's wild how a third party coming in <laughs> opens up that conversation so much because people are like, even this entitled person can be so frustrated because they don't feel like they're getting what they need either, but they may not feel comfortable speaking up about that. So part of this conversation is unearthing whatever it is that they feel that is lacking for them too, not just the impact that their behavior is having on other people.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So after you, after a while you're documenting, cause you're documenting the whole time, right? For those of you who this is like super fresh information to, and you're like taking notes right now, you're documenting every incident, every conversation, not necessarily to, oh, I'm going to get him. I'm going to use this as ammunition, but just to keep a record, right? You're documenting every conversation, every instance, every situation, every, um, even every email that comes across is like, Whoa, timeout what's going on here to build your own case file, which is twofold. Like what Natalie said, it protects you, well, more multiple fold, I guess, more than two, protects you legally, builds your case, but it also allows you to go back with a fresh set of eyes and review it and see, okay, maybe I took this the wrong way, or, oh yeah, this really is a big issue, or, oh, I'm seeing this here as well now, and really create that more general understanding. That way your recollection isn't tied solely to the emotion you had in that moment. Um, so go ahead. You feel a, like you, I feel like you have something you want to say there.
1: Well, I was going to say that's an excellent point. And it also um, allows you to repeat the process. Like, wow, we had this issue with this person. Here's exactly what we did. The issue was resolved. And it's a great success story. So let's replicate that because it might you know, continue to work with other people when we have the same problems. Keyword being might.
0: Don't forget might. to listen to understand, <laughs> ask questions to understand, not project other people's issues onto other people because no two people are the same, but processes can be replicated. And the more instances you have, the more you can fine tune a general process that equips you for it. Absolutely. So we're documenting, we're documenting everything. We're reviewing the documentation. We are sitting down and having a conversation with them where we listen to understand. We're not really talking. We're asking questions. We're learning. We have a a humble posture about us.
1: What's next? Okay, so at this point, obviously, you have the documentation of all the people or person who uh, this is affecting. Um, We've had now the conversation with the person who is causing the issue. You want to take that information back because we're just listening, as we keep saying, um, and digest that, you know, compare notes here. What is What are the affected people saying versus what the offender, quote unquote, is saying and process that a little bit. I think there's a, an element of seeing past the observable behavior of the person in front of you that is not second nature to everyone, um, but it can definitely be learned. There's an emotional intelligence aspect of that, too, um, where you need to look at the big picture, not just this um, detailed kind of incident. So really digesting that information and coming up with um, an action plan for this person. And so the next conversation that you have with them really needs to be about setting expectations, how this behavior is impacting people, and also the organization, but how we're going to move forward. So we want to create a path forward and set expectations of how we expect this to change. And one of the big things that you and I discuss is not being apologetic in that conversation. You're not saying, I'm sorry that it has to be this way, or I'm sorry we're... I'm not saying this very well, but... <laughs>
0: Well, it's it's not don't be apologetic of like if there's something they like in through this conversation, they're opening up, you're asking questions, like we said, break it down to sales calls. Sales call number one. They're ask you're asking questions, they're answering, they're being open, which like by the way, they might not be very open. You might have to really pry. Like it it could be a difficult potential client or it could be a very open, yes, I need help potential client, right? Um asking those questions, listening but also not taking offense to the answers like don't make it about you um but then when if if there is actual offense that's caused or if there is an apology like we're not saying don't apologize we're just saying don't approach it with like a oh i'm i'm so sorry this is such an inconvenience like i'm wasting your time or like almost from an intimidation standpoint
1: or like a insecurity yourself standpoint is what you're saying uh you're not trying to to be you you want it to be authoritative but not authoritarian i guess oh i like that i was thinking domineering but i like that better Authoritarian. yeah i mean this matters you things need to change but also i'm not a dictator you are your own person and you have your own free will and really after this you know after this whole process it does become up to the person's free will whether they're going to accept this feedback some people are great at constructive feedback um, accepting it and doing something with it. And some people are defensive and will remain that way and nothing will change. So, you know, your expectations on the other side of this should be open, maybe have no expectations on how this is going to turn out because you're just providing the information and direction and trying to solve the problem. But, you know, what comes out of it is ultimately up to the person.
0: But don't be afraid to set goals of, okay, this is the problem. This is my goal for what I want the future to look like. If this person is not, you don't have to jump to the extreme right up front. Right? Like it's like, okay, if they don't change, they're fired. Like you don't have to go straight there, but it does warrant an evaluation of the situation of like, okay, I don't want to fire this person. I don't want like, I, I want them as part of my team pros and cons opportunity costs, like what, what is the actual cost, do like a cost benefit analysis of, okay, not to put a person to numbers necessarily, I'm not saying just look at financial data. But if we're starting this conversation, if we're starting this process, if this is worth pursuing, then what do I want the outcome to be? What do I need the outcome to be like, here's what I want a little bit down, here's what I actually need, like, bare minimum, Like, what am I willing to settle for? And if none of those things are accomplished, what path do I want to go forward? Because the other thing you have to be careful of, especially in this instance, we're talking about with this company we worked with, that manager was all about charging forward, but he also didn't want to make too many waves. And every person involved in this, I mean, Sarah's question, years of favoritism, years of entitlement, years of ego inflation. It was like, wow, they've been here for like decades. Um, I really don't want to fire these guys, but I also don't want to tolerate this and figuring out, okay, at what point is enough enough. And if you're going to pursue this process and you're going to take the time to do it, you
1: also kind of have to oh, stick you to definitely your do. And I think a conversation I had with, um, a client the other day was about goals and they had, um, they were in the behavioral health kind of world. So they work with, um, a behavior, behavioral health or therapists i guess clinical psychologists who then have a team of clinicians underneath them and apparently clinical psychologists um, don't really like love in general to manage teams below them so they're they keep having people come through that are like what do you mean i have to set goals with my team you know they they already know what they have to do you know they're clinicians too they know what's up but the point of this is that people want direction in general people want direction and don't always know how to solve the problem that you know how to solve, and don't always know that there is the problem. So to your point about setting goals, there needs to be some concrete, measurable um, way to um, give this person an opportunity to improve, and that's really the only way to determine if that's happened, is to have the measurable goals, Um, but they also probably want some direction. I'm like a bobblehead over here. You guys can't see this, but I'm like
0: nodding my head. So like, consistent like, yes, amen to everything. Well, thank just you.
1: Um, and I guess that brings us to the next point, which is they have to be held accountable. And so that's where those measurable goals come in. And you'll want to sit down with this person, um, you know, probably weekly to begin with, to talk to them about how they're managing this and where they're having trouble and really come from a place of, you know, service and support. And sometimes that's hard for managers, leaders, HR, especially when the person is being challenging. But it's another way that you can kind of diffuse the defensiveness is by coming from a place of genuinely wanting to help them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's big. And not a place of like selfish motivation of like, oh, they're just making my life so difficult. And they've got to change because this isn't working for me.
1: That might be part of it. But yeah, absolutely. In and I think um, so. I guess the next step is completely based on whether this person is making changes or not. Um, there's no real direction we can give after that. But um, I think you kind of know what to do, whether you have to uh, replace that person or they have stepped up and begun to perform well. Uh, And there's a lot of nuances and different ways that can go. And we'd be happy to talk to you if you wanted to write in um, kind of with your particular issues about that. Oh, absolutely. So to recap that, document,
0: (laughs) document, document cowboy up and have the hard conversation. But when you do it, you're there to listen conversation one, because this isn't all going to be solved in one one moment, like Natalie said, you're there to listen, you're there to understand, you can do a little bit more talking in conversation two, <laughs> and three, and etc. Um, and then, so document conversation to listen, Steps should tr- like specific measurable action items, and Goals, right? Yep. yep. And then continually evaluate the progress.
1: Yeah. And if you are struggling with being able to have that difficult conversation, we work a lot at the Outstanding Company in conflict management, and that's part of it. So if mm-hmm. you need support in that area, definitely reach out to us um, at hello at the outstanding company.com or you can just go to our website and send a note from there. Uh, because we can certainly support you in starting to craft that conversation and how to approach um, that person.
0: Yeah. Don't just wing it.
1: That's very dangerous territory to just
0: wing it and see what happens or, well, this is the best I can do. So this is going to have to be good enough. Yes. And you definitely want to be prepared for that one. (laughs) Um, Awesome. Okay. That was a great conversation around Sarah's question. And We gave Sarah more specific answers to her particular circumstance, but we wanted to share that with everyone here because that is a question that we have heard so much. And Sarah wasn't the only one who asked it. Um, She's just the one who asked it first, I guess. (laughs) That's why we're crediting Sarah here. Um, So if you're listening thinking, wait, I also asked a question like that. We're not trying to snub you. Another question we're going to take a look at today is about you know what actually now that i think about this the next question was about how to address the root causes of entitlement without invading people's privacy and i think this is actually going to be a pretty short answer because we set the foundation to answer this really a lot on in the last question
1: yes i think that we covered a lot of this on that first question um but the question was Do you have any tips on how to discuss situations with employees to get to the root cause of the entitlement in a way that's not invasive of their privacy? Okay, so this is about that conversation that you're going to have with the person, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't really thought of it like that, but it really is. Yeah, I hadn't either. So I guess we're taking this to the next level um, and giving you some practical advice on having The conversation with the challenging person. Uh, We talked a little bit about, you know, making sure that we're looking at the bigger picture and not just focusing on, you know, the actual behavior. We don't want it to sound like we're attacking the person when we're having the conversation. So, really reframing those behaviors, um, because sometimes people. This also speaks to that um, potential lack of self awareness, but some people don't realize how their behavior is impacting others. And people could speak to others in a condescending manner and not realize how badly that kind of hurts the person or how bad it makes them feel or that they take that home with them or that it then puts them in a state where they're treating other people poorly. There's a much bigger impact than a lot of people understand when it comes to the little things that they do every day. And that speaks also to good things, like if you see someone picking up uh, someone else's trash on the street, you're more likely to go pick up someone else's trash on the street. So there's a good ways in which behavior influences others. But these negative behaviors, really, we talked about this on the episode, impact people's life at home.
0: Well, I think we're all guilty of this, too. I mean, there's circumstances where we're all human. We all accidentally perpetuate whatever we're feeling or pass that on down or can speak. I know when I'm focused on something and I am like in the zone, really moving and grooving, doing my favorite things, problem solving, strategic development. There are times where I can come across as very direct and very, um, I've been told I can sound very intimidating. And that like just breaks my heart because that's not how I am. That's not who I want to be. But there's times when it's like, I don't even realize the tone of voice that I am saying, because I'm just so focused. And and in fact, to, to tie it back to the last question and the, the company we worked with, one of the people in this chain that we re- referenced didn't even realize the impact that they were having. Some of them did, and they didn't care. And that was a whole other issue, but one in particular was like, I don't, I don't mean to be like this. I'm just trying to do my job and anything else. It just gets in the way of my job. And that was his perspective was, I'm just doing my job. If you have a problem with how I do my, like, is there an issue with my, the quality of my work? No. Okay. Well then what's the problem here? Because my work speaks for itself. And there was that other side of it, of not even realizing how widespread this issue was on his team until his manager had that conversation with him and was very gentle about it. Didn't go very well the first few times. I mean, this, this one we're talking about that, that manager told, I mean, he, how many times did he end up having a conversation with this guy? Like instead of one set conversation, it ended up being probably like seven or eight small conversations, just reinforcing the same things, talking about them trickled throughout, like what was it like six months or something? It's been a minute, so I don't remember all the specifics, but.
1: Yeah, well, I think this person's perspective was if it's not impacting the quality of my work, what's the problem, as you said, but it's impacting the quality of other people's work. And that's where this, you know, reframing the behavior in terms of its impact on others. To your point, some people aren't going to care how it impacts other people. They're, you know, focused on themselves and that can be a culture issue as well, Um, You know, when you're when you need collaboration and supportive behaviors, but your goals and culture reflect a competitive environment where you you need to get ahead of everybody else. That's called conflicting goals. And it's going to basically send mixed messages to people about what your expectations are. So if you have a super competitive, you know, everybody needs to get ahead and we're competing with each other culture and then you go try to have this conversation with somebody like we did who says, but my quality of my work's great. What else is you, now you're telling him, okay, well you have to be competitive and get ahead of you know the other people on your team or in this company, but you also have to be kind and helpful and supportive to them, which are not aligned at all. And also to your point about you know, being direct in your communication, I tend to be very, direct, concise, analytical. I don't know if I come off that way on this podcast, but maybe. Um, But that's something, again, we use the predictive index behavioral assessment for is to understand how that person needs to be talked to. Um, I can't remember if it was, maybe it was you, or maybe it was Michelle Joseph. But someone recently said, there's always a nicer way a message can be delivered.
0: I don't remember and saying that, so we're going to credit Michelle Joseph for that. Okay, and that th- I love it. I can pretend I said <laughs> it,
1: but sounds very um, on brand for Michelle. But funny enough, I feel like because I am a lower extroversion, more you know, introspective minded, and she is very high extroversion. That's where that comes from. Is she's really focused on people and how people feel. When she's talking to them and my mind comes from a place of wanting to just get to the point to get things done so everybody can move on with their day so understanding you know your style versus the person you're talking to style and the per the people that they're dealing with that are having these issues that alone can help reframe a lot of the behaviors and when you have those data points in front of you and you can say hey alex See here how you know you you have very high dominance. You really value your own opinions, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, your own ideas. And you have this low extroversion, which makes you a little bit more direct and you know, concise. But this person is you know, higher extroversion, you're managing them. They they need a little bit more massaging, they need a little bit more of, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that either, but they're really focused on caring about people so they that opposite style of communication can often be the catalyst for the whole problem but that's only one potential issue which is
0: it's <laughs> funny that he used that as an example because i tend to have the opposite issue in my like personal life of like i will sugarcoat things too much and massage them too much to where i almost talk not almost where i definitely talk in circles Whereas then in the workplace, I'm very like, like chop, 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 direct. Like let's, I'll massage it a little bit, but like also bring your professional self, not your weepy emotional self, which is ironic considering I'm like the most weepy emotional person ever. So it's really funny. Like just the, (laughs) is, is the dichotomy the right word there? The dichotomy of the two? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Another tool for this conversation and Well, first, I want to say you might not get to the root cause of the entitlement. I don't know if we've said that yet. It's also not necessarily your job to get to the root cause of the entitlement. Your job isn't to psychoanalyze this person and solve all of their emotional issues. You're not a licensed psychologist. You're not a therapist. You're not a counselor. You're just trying to make the workplace better, right? And you're trying to exhibit that you care about this person. So you might not get to the root cause, but in trying to understand where it's coming from or how it can be addressed or how you can shift it a tool that we really like is the five whys. And like, that's the five h y, like the word why? Really, that's just a tool to dig deeper, you're not literally saying why to everything that they respond with. Um, But it's it's kind of a mental trigger to go five levels deeper. So that can be done with words and phrases such as, Oh, okay, I think I understand what you're saying. Can you rephrase that a little bit for me? Or can you help me understand? what might cause this or how might we blank how might we dig deeper into this or so like the how might we can you help me understand i think i hear what you're saying but i'd love to see if you can rephrase it so i can make sure this is important to me and i want to make sure i don't miss it um so just really going that five levels deeper to get to you might you might uncover the root cause they might not share with you as their manager that they had some horrible traumatic event in their childhood, or they always felt like they were never good enough, or they might, you might not get that emotional breakthrough, but you might get to a point where you understand them better and you don't have to know that traumatic emotional thing in
1: their lives. Yeah. And I honestly, when we talk about privacy, which is part of the question, From my perspective, I don't want you to get to that emotional trauma. That is not something that you are equipped to deal with at all. Mm -mm. But it's making the person recognize something we've been talking about a lot is that the person who shows up at work is bound to expectations of behavior. And regardless of the whole person that exists at home, and we talk about the whole person does come to work. That is very true. Head the heart in the briefcase. The role self, the person who needs to do this job and they need to do this job well, needs to be the one who is taking objective action based on this conversation. It needs to be more objective. If that brings up these feelings for them of issues that they know or don't know that they've had that are kind of causing these issues and that's something that they can deal with on their own or at home. You don't really need to know about it, but the goal here is to like make them think about it and make them understand how they're impacting other people. It's not really to you know fix their childhood trauma. Um, but going back to the five whys, you know the first when you're having this conversation the first part of the conversation can be talking about the behaviors that have been observed and kind of how this why this conversation started and maybe their first reaction is something like yes i'm behaving that way because i'm frustrated because they're not doing what i told them to do then we ask another question right because that's definitely not the root of the problem And if you accept that as the root of the problem, that's going to end poorly because then we're just shifting the blame to somebody else um, who already feels like a victim in this situation. So then you ask another question. Okay, well, you know, why is this person uh, frustrating you? Why, Why do you think that this is their behavior? Well, they don't trust me because they've only been on my team for, six months and they don't know how long I've been here and I know more than them or whatever that conversation comes about. We're still not getting anywhere near the root cause. But it's when you ask those five whys and get to that fifth level, you get way closer if you don't get all the way to what the root cause is. And you know, in, in the case that I'm using now, I would say that there's some level of insecurity and there's a solution there. If there is a level of threat you can address that you can make the person feel more confident and secure in their role if the insecurity is related to product knowledge or knowing how to manage somebody that's awesome now we have a development opportunity or a training opportunity so we can get to a place where we've got enough information about where that this actual root of the problem is coming from that we can do something about it that's going to be meaningful and um, impactful for The person as well as you know the team and the company i love that i don't know what i have to add to that actually (laughs) i think really my only other note on this question was to stay objective and try to take the feelings out of it focus on you know obviously it's coming from a person feeling that they've been treating being treated a certain way by the entitled person but when we're addressing it we really want to focus on the impact, not how the entitled behavior person is feeling because that could go in a million we we really want to keep the emotional we really want to take the emotion out of the conversation as much as possible. It will be there because this person is probably, as we said before, I'm going to feel a little defensive about it. But the way to kind of balance that is to try to stay objective and make sure you're not attacking them.
0: And we cannot stress this enough. Don't take it personally. Like when they get defensive, that the very first conversation, the manager we referenced earlier that we were coaching had with um, his subordinate, so not his manager, but his subordinate did not go well. And the subordinate very much straight up attacked him and was very defensive and said all of these things that it's like, okay, some of those like not actually okay to say in the workplace, <laughs> any workplace. <laughs> um, but the manager took it to heart. And he was like, Oh, my gosh, I'm never gonna be able to fix this. I'm never gonna, I, this is a repres- a reflection of me being a failure. And it really hit him hard. And it wasn't until we like sat down and had those co- coaching calls and coaching conversations of like, timeout, we have to separate this, we cannot take this personally, if there's things that hit harder because they really he did touch some nerves like let's identify those and coach and add those to our coaching panel but it is important to go in and with that almost mental armor and not in like a, a a bad way but of just remembering that this conversation is not about you it's not about how it makes you feel in fact like natalie said really work hard to take the emotion out of it and look at it objectively which is it's hard but it is possible to remove quite a bit of emotion from a conversation and as we've established I'm an emotional person so part of me kind of feels like and i mean this not in like a callous or bad way but like okay if one of the most emotional people on this planet can remove emotion from a conversation in the workplace and like sit down and have a targeted conversation you can too
1: <laughs> i think one of my favorite quotes um or maybe it's not a quote it's just kind of a advice um, on this is you can't control others' behavior. You can only control your reaction to their behavior. And that's maybe something you want to share with the person, all the people involved in this too. But when you're sitting down having that conversation, you don't have to react to whatever they're saying to you, even if you do feel like it's personal. It's, It's not, it's coming from a place of defensiveness and trying to redirect blame. Which brings us back to
0: try to respond, not react. Try to have like a an actual thought out response, not a reaction. Yeah, I like and that. that's just a good life mm-hmm. tip in general. So there's yes. a bonus for y'all. You <laughs> in your relationships and your friendships and your marriage, your home, your work, all of it. Try to guard yourself to respond, not react.
1: Absolutely. Those
0: are Those are some really good tips on structuring conversations with people without invading privacy having those level set expectations obviously if you want more we can definitely go in deeper with you on a case-by-case basis just send us an email like natalie said so that brings us to the end of our first little q a session after hours hhb after dark like i said check the title of this episode to see what we what name we landed on
1: And I think we dove deeper into these Q&As than even we expected to. We had another one, actually. That we'll save for our next Q&A because we don't want this to be like a three-hour-long uh, podcast. So <laughs> we wanna, we were hoping to keep our listeners engaged, um, not keep you here for hours. So,
0: Yeah, honestly, our intentions for this were about like 20, 30 minutes. And I think after I finish editing this, this is probably going to be like a solid hour. So. You're welcome for the extra content and thoughts. Y'all wanted conversation, buddy, you got conversation.
1: <laughs> yeah. Chatty Cathy's over here.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Um, thank you guys so much for listening this week to the head, the heart and the briefcase. Make sure to leave us a review and follow and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, wherever you
1: get your podcasts. And if you'd like to reach out to us with questions or concerns or whatever it may be, it's hello at hhbpodcast.com that's hhb head heart briefcase podcast.com we
0: also have a
1: little excerpt or little link below where you can leave
0: us a voice memo so if you have questions that you don't really feel like emailing out Um, Or you want to have your voice featured on the Head, the Heart, and the Briefcase
1: podcast,
0: (laughs) call us and leave us a message and we will totally tackle your questions. We have an awesome episode coming up for you next week on emotional intelligence. And I say next week because that is going to hold us accountable to getting it recorded for next week. Some of you might notice that we already did an episode on emotional intelligence that you can no longer find. After listening to it, we decided that the audio quality, um, the conversation, both of us were a little bit sick. We sounded scripted because we were relying on our notes too much because of the sickness that we both felt. Um, We're just going to scrap that one and start from scratch. So for those of you who enjoyed that one, come listen again. We're going to hit a lot of the same things, but I'm sure recording it like a month later is going to bring up even more conversation, even more topics, Um, but we'll keep the general highlights the same. So you'll still have that resource um, just with some additional insight.
1: Awesome, I can't wait to share that.
0: Me either. Thanks guys so much and we will see you next week. Bye.